Father, thank you for bringing us here. Uh, Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for making yourself known through your son, Jesus Christ, and through bringing this message to us through your word, keeping your word safe through the ages so that we can have an accurate account of your character and who you are and what you want for us uh, through this word. Uh, I pray that uh, you can guide my words to uh, preach um, your gospel faithfully um, and open up our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, Marissa is going to read for us. 17, yeah. Okay. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to the idols. It's working? Now while Paul waited for them at Ephesus, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicureans and Syrup philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they looked, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new things. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Eurypagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through the considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, although as though he needed some anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord, in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Through he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of our own poets have said, for we are also his offsprings. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we owe 
not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's division, devising. Truly, these things in ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when he heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among the Dionysius and Eurypagids, a woman named Damaris and others with them. Thank you, Marissa. Uh, a few uh, difficult names there. Um, as always, through Acts, uh, it's, it's hard to, to figure out what these names are. And the, obviously, secret is being confident. And then uh, people think, ah, oh, yeah, that's how, how it's said. Well, um, as I come to this passage, I wonder whether, as your life as a Christian, or when you first became a Christian, um, you've ever been mocked. For your, uh, for your Christianity, and I see uh, quite a few heads nodding. It's, it's normal, isn't it? Um, especially nowadays. Uh, you go to any comedy show and they will mock Christianity. They say, seriously, are you a Christian? You don't believe in that nonsense, do you? Uh, are you sure? And somehow, it, it seems that it's not cool to be Christian. And not only that, I would say that most of the mockery nowadays is of the type where they say that you must have some kind of blind faith, some kind of unreasoning uh, belief, some way in which you've switched off your logical thinking, intellectual mind to believe if you want to be a Christian. Well, what we see here is something very different. And my first point is this. The gospel stands up to intellectual examination. The gospel stands up to intellectual examination. Here we have Paul. He's been to towns, villages, and even some cities. He's talked to uh, villagers, he's talked to noblemen, he's talked to city rulers, he's talked to synagogue leaders. None of these, however, compared to Athens. Have you noticed how the intellectual elite, I'm, I'm talking about nowadays, the intellectual elite quite like to talk in Latin? They use it to, to boast, and they use it to kind of make themselves high-sounding. Well, that comes from the Middle Ages, where in the European countries, those who were educated knew Latin. They were taught Latin because all of the old books from the Romans were, uh, was in Latin. And when they wrote new books, they would write in Latin. Well, in, it's, it's interesting, and it's kind of ironic that during the, the Roman times, the intellectuals actually spoke ancient Greek. So like the intellectuals nowadays like to be high-sounding, like to talk in Latin, the Romans at the time liked to talk in ancient Greece, uh, Greek. And that's because the center of 
uh, academia was Greece, Athens. The center of intellectual curiosity, the learning place of philosophy and art and culture and uh, mathematics especially, that was Greece. These guys in the Areopagus were, uh, they, they were the descendants of uh, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. They had that tradition and very much still uh, the center of the Roman world in terms of uh, intellect, uh, intellectual ambition and intellectual, uh, the forefront of any of their thinking was Athens. So here's, uh, now Paul was raised as a teacher and a Pharisee. A Pharisee would be a teacher of the law, an expert in the old, old scriptures, and also part of the ruling class, a rabbi and a well-educated man. But even he was outclassed here. Paul would have been seen as some backcountry lawyer, some uh, small uh, kind of religious teacher. Imagine if you had your PhD uh, from Bukitinda. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting a PhD in Bukinenda, and I'm going to be in danger of those people who work with the, uh, the EduCity people here. But imagine if you get your PhD in, in Bukinenda, and then you are asked to give your paper to the people in Harvard, or Stanford, or Oxford, or Cambridge, those academic centers of the world. Well, immediately, as soon as you, they tell, uh, you announce yourself, they're immediately going to think, hmm, am I going to trust this guy? What has this guy got to say? Some will listen. Some will dismiss you straight out. He's not worthy of, or she's not worthy of uh, us listening to them. And it's got to be pretty intimidating, hasn't it? These are world centers of excellence for academic studies. And so too with Athens. He's never, uh, Paul has never come up against something like this before. Uh, but you can see, they don't dismiss him because of what he, uh, because of what he says. Let's, let's have a, a look down. Um, before you jump on any arguments say, that say that many didn't believe, we also know that many did. In this passage, with the ex exception of Dionysus, Damaris, and others, we see that many are converted, we don't see many converted, but they do want to hear more. And those who sneer, well, why do they dismiss him? Anyone look down and, and see why do they dismiss Paul here? Anyone got an answer? What does it say in the passage? Why do they dismiss Paul? Sorry? Um, yes, um, it, it's, let's have a look down. Um, it's because of the, the idea of resurrection from the dead. It's not because his arguments don't make sense. It's not because he was, uh, he was uh, saying anything wrong. It's because of this idea of resurrection from the dead. And actually, that's pretty similar nowadays. Any scientist will say, as soon as you say, oh, this guy uh, rose from the dead, well, that's, that's, you know, some people will disbelieve that straight out. 
And if you, so, and, and people will say, show us the evidence. Well, Paul has the evidence. And if you, if you don't believe, do have a look at the historical evidence for Jesus rising from the dead. Now, for those people who scoff at Christians for being idiots and gullible, and if you still think that you, you know, still doubt yourself as among them, please do remember that, that some of the great minds throughout the generations have been men of faith. Kepler and Descartes, Newton, Isaac Newton, yes, the guy with the apple and gravity, uh, Faraday. If you still don't believe that Christianity can stand up to rigorous intellectual uh, debate and examination, uh, I would ask you to go and have a look at the, uh, the video clips, especially on YouTube, of the debates between uh, Richard Dawkins. You, you know about him. Uh, he may be accused of being uh, very blindsided when it comes to attacking religion, uh, but no one can question his scientific mind. Uh, and he has some very interesting debates with a guy called John Lennox. And you'll find that on, in those debates, John Lennox often comes out on top. And Richard Dawkins loves to actually debate with this guy. So go and, uh, go and look them up and realize that Christianity does uh, stand up to intellectual examination. Uh, this is my summer reading recommendation for my sixth form Bible, uh, Bible study students. It's called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And it's uh, a very easy read uh, about one man's search to try and disprove Christianity. So this guy was a uh, uh, journalist. Um, he was a, a lawyer and a journalist. And he went out to try and disprove Christianity. And through his search, he discovered that Christianity was true. And so he wrote it down in a book. Now, I don't believe that uh, apologetics can ever convert somebody, uh, but it can get you into that conversation. So those people who accuse you that, uh, that there is no evidence, the apologetics, things like this book, uh, the evidence in this book, will point you in the direction where you can start that conversation. And then you get into conversation about the gospel, and it's the gospel that uh, uh, converts people. Secondly, it also will strengthen your faith by going out there and talking to people about your faith. When you see that Jesus does hold up to those arguments, then you will see that, that your faith is strengthened. As Mike urged you last, uh, last week, go out and talk to people, practice it, know your stuff. And so I hope I can make it clear to you that Christianity does stand up to intellectual examination. That was my first point. Christianity stands up to intellectual, intellectual examination. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home? Can anyone recognize that, those, those words? 
It's from a song. Do you know who the artist is? It's a lady called Joan Osborne. About, it's quite a few years ago now. Um, it's in the 90s, yes. So, it's a song about what would it be like if God was one of us? Just puts the question out there. Doesn't come to any conclusion. But I don't know what, what you think, but I find that quite horrifying. It's actually quite scary. I mean, I have a difficult enough time trying to keep my life together, let alone the whole universe. Now, I have quite a few friends who are, uh, have, um, who are couples with children. And there's obviously lots of children here. And I'm told, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping that I'm right, I'm told that the second child, uh, it's much easier to look after the second child. It's much less of a stress looking after the second child than the first child. Because for the first child, you worry. You read all the parenting books. You, make, you try and make sure everything is right. You try and control everything. And then you realize you just can't. And thankfully, God has created these children to be pretty robust. Um, you can drop them, and I don't recommend that. <laughs> but you can drop them and they'll bounce. You can, uh, you can if, 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 if you forget to feed them, they'll cry. If you forget to change the nappy, they'll cry. If you don't put them to bed on time, they'll cry. So they have an inbuilt uh, sense of what things should happen. And they've got an inbuilt mechanism to make sure that you do it. So if you forget, they'll cry and you'll, you'll be you know, pushed to do it. And the same with, with when I first learned to teach. You suddenly realize that you are one against maybe 30, or 20 or 30 other people. It's one against 20 or 30. You realize actually how little control you have. And then all of a sudden, you know, after a little while, you start to get used to the idea that children have been built pretty well. Thankfully, they've been designed pretty well. They want to do well. They, want to, they actually want to study. They want to receive praise. They want to be cared for. And thank God that somebody else designed them and not me. Okay. Those of you who have done uh, medicine or worked with medics know that the human body is amazing. And just little bits and pieces out of place can cause the whole system go, to go. But though the whole system has been designed to be quite robust and amazingly, incredibly well designed, beyond our understanding. Well, thank God that we are not in charge and somebody, somebody so much infinitely more uh, intelligent than us is in charge. But this is what Paul attacks in this passage. Let's have a look down um, at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives him uh, everything, everyone, life and breath and everything else. From one man he made the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. 
God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. So he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. You see, the Greeks and the Romans made gods in their image. They were fickle and foolish. They were lustful and petty and vengeful. Thank God that our God is not like that. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the foolishness of putting your faith in superstition, to try and bargain with higher powers, to think that their minds can be changed by something that we do. It just leads to a path of uncertainty, and it means putting your faith in something unreliable. No, we're told by the Bible that we have a faith in a steadfast God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He listens to our prayers, not because he's toying with us, not because we're a pawn on his chessboard, but because he is our loving father and he wants the best for us. Your parents know what you need. Sometimes you come in and they'll say, yes, there's ice cream in the the fridge even before you ask for it. Yes, God is like that. He wants us to ask for things and communicate, for it, for, uh, communicate with him. But we're not trying to bargain with him. There is no bargaining with God because he already wants the best for us. Thank God that our God is not a petty, fickle, uh, human God that we, uh, that they are not in our image, but instead we are in his image. I have to confess, uh, this is w- the, the main reason why I have a problem with liberal Christians. Uh, a liberal Christian I would define as somebody who, who says, uh, yes, I believe most of the Bible, but actually I don't believe in this bit and I don't believe in this bit. I disagree with this bit. Um, forgive me if, if that's you. Uh, but... I struggle with to understand people uh, or someone who says they believe in a creator God, a God who made the universe, who made everything in it, the way the ecosystem uh, works, the way that animals interact, the way that human bodies are put together, the way that children are, yeah, the way that he put children together, the way that... He put everything together. How can he not want his word, his revelation of himself, to be presented to you as he wants it? How can you doubt that? You see, when you pick and choose from what you believe from the Bible, and I know it's not easy. There are some passages that I still struggle with. There's some passages that I I look at and I'm, I'm not certain. But... How can, you, how can you believe in a created God who, who made all those things and then still pick and choose from the Bible? If you are picking and choosing what you believe from the Bible, you are making God into your image. You are saying, 
that doesn't tally with what I understand of my life and how I think the world happens together, put, is put together. No, God, I know better than you. How incredibly arrogant is that? And so the first thing I do when I, I start the Christian Forum uh, in, in the schools that I've worked in is have a look at the Bible and say, this is what we're going to look at. We're not going to, uh, we're not going to hear what I think Christianity is or what other people think Christianity is. I could go on about what I think Christianity is and I could show videos about other people talking about Christianity. Some of them are experts. I would rather you look at the Bible and show you what the Bible says Christianity is. And so my second point is this. Fear God, for he is in control. And that means acknowledging that the Bible is God's word, his spirit-inspired word. Fear God, for he is in control. My final point is this, and I'll keep it fairly short. The gospel is good news for everyone. In fact, the, the translation of gospel is good news. The gospel is good news for everyone. Look down at the next uh, little section, verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That's Jesus, if you didn't get that one. Um, he has proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now, people have accused Paul of changing his message for the Athenians. They, they say that he, 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 um, he goes and tries to uh, tailor his message just for them, breaking the mold. Well, if you have a look back over, over this passage... What does he do first? He goes to the synagogues and the markets and spends weeks preaching there before he goes to the Areopagus. So it's the same thing again. We've seen that last few weeks. Again and again, he goes to the synagogues, he goes to the public places, and he starts preaching. They invite him to the Areopagus. And what does he preach on? He preaches repent. And he preaches about Jesus, and he preaches about the evidence, which is the resurrection from the dead. Isn't this the same message he's preached to villagers, and soldiers, and governors, and city rulers, and synagogue leaders? This is the same message. He's not changing his message. If you are afraid that you're not qualified to speak to people, to evangelize to people. If evangelism is something that uh, fills you with dread, is something that you think that you're not ready to do or not worthy of doing. If you know the gospel, that Jesus died in our place as a sacrifice for our sins, that he rose again and ascended to heaven so that he can mediate in our pla uh, for us, then you know enough. That's it. Repent and be saved because Jesus died for you and was raised and is in heaven. You know the same gospel as Paul. Yes, you might want to learn a bit more about how to get into conversation. Don't be afraid of saying, let me get back to you on that question. 
But as I say to my students, the first thing really is to get to the gospel. The gospel, it stands up to intellectual examination. It's about a God who made us in his image. So we know God, if not by uh, the Bible, then creation itself is evidence enough. Creation of us. And it's a very, very simple message. Repent and be saved. For Jesus has died, rose, and went to heaven. And this is what Paul preaches. The gospel is good news for everyone. I want to end on this passage. If you turn to Romans 1, Romans chapter 1, it's the next book in the Bible. When you've got to it, look up and smile at me. Okay, then I know that most of you got it. Okay, right. Romans 1, verse 16, it says this. This might be worth plastering on your wall. I am not ashamed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Let me pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for bringing it to us uh, virtually unchanged, but with that simplicity so clear at the heart throughout the whole big book that you have come and died for our salvation, to forgive us for sins, to help us to have a relationship with you, that you rose from the dead as evidence for us and that you went to heaven so that now you're interceding for us. Lord, help us to have a passion for your word, a passion that is overflowing, that it comes up in any conversation that we have, that when we talk to our friends, we can't help but tell them how excited we are for, for our faith and our relationship with you. Lord, help us to love the, uh, the Bible and want to go to it every day to read it. Lord, it is hard sometimes, and Lord, but Lord, we pray that you give us that desire and that passion to know you more and to spread you, your word to others. Lord, give us those opportunities to talk to others. Lord, it's sometimes hard to see, so Lord, it's, please uh, just make it clear to us. Sometimes we need a sledgehammer to the head just to see that these are opportunities to share you. These are people that we want to spend eternity with. Lord, we thank you again for being a loving God, a God who answers prayer, and a God who made us in your image. Thank you, God, that you are not like us. In Jesus' name, amen.